Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. I don't think I'm ever going to get used to Zoom saying this meeting is being recorded. I like really don't. This is the second time we've talked about this or I've talked about it. Maybe I just keep talking about it because it's the weirdest thing in the world to me. But I don't think I'm ever going to get used to that. So it says to you that this meeting is being recorded, right? To me, it says recording in progress. Oh. Like, what? Yeah. So we're getting different Whoa. messages here. Whoa. This is wild. This, this is, is a wild. little weird. It's a little weird. <laughs> Hello. We are here. Welcome. This week's Hot Takes episode, James That's and Chris. a way to start a, a, a podcast. <laughs> Oh man, like we've been having fun here talking about a whole bunch of stuff. It's a, it's a good time of the year. It's a really good time of the year. Mm -hmm. You know, Chris, you got some important stuff coming up. Mm -hmm. I do. I do. Yeah. Chris here, he's, he's, you know, tying the knot, so to speak. He's, he's, he's getting married. (laughs) <laughs> Whoa, yeah, get it. I can hear the virtual yeah. crowd like, Woo! yeah, and then all the people who are married are like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> that's what everyone says. <laughs> yeah, and my birthday's coming up, and I'll yes, tell you, it's yes. like gonna be the first time in a couple of years that I'm gonna be able to travel for it. So, mm. we're, we're all smiles here, we're having yep. a great day. Um, but we did want to, you know, address some, some of the panic going on around baseball. Because there are some people who are, they think their team is already done. Um, and, you know, we're here to, 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 to address some of mm-hmm. these concerns, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I so, offer a suggestion of where to start? Yeah, yeah, if yeah We're yeah. going to talk about this, about this baseball panic. Because yeah. ever since we started doing this together, um, I get nonstop baseball news now. Um, <laughs> And so like, clearly the ads are, the, the phones are listening. So I, obviously I live out here in New York and I get nonstop Yankees news. Yeah, of course. And it's like Yankees fans panic, Yankees fans panic, Yankees fans panic. So I remember when we were talking just a little bit before this, you had brought up the Yankees and you were like, don't panic. Tell me why. Yeah. So a lot of the guys on the Yankees are, are these physical monsters. I think there's no denying, you know, Luke Voigt is a physical monster. Miguel Andahar is, you know, ripped. Clint Frazier has muscles on muscles. He looks like Goku up there. Um, you got, you know, Aaron Judge out here. I'm not exactly sure who I'd compare Judge to because it's very clear that Stanton is jeering. And Judge is way too kind to be like Vegeta or someone. So like, you know, whatever. Um, but <laughs> all these Dragon Ball Z yeah, references. All these, yeah, all these references. Um, but these, these guys are, are huge, huge, you know, players. You know, Judge is six foot seven. Stanton is six foot six. Um, Andahar and Frazier, they're on the smaller side, but like they're, they're totally ripped. They're absolutely, you know, yoked, as they say. Gym rats, so to speak. Uh, but these guys are athletes too, or at least, you know, Frazier is. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, some of these guys are just, they're, they're just so muscular. It's incredible. Judge is an athlete. I mean, quite a few guys on this team are athletes. I'm not trying to detract there. I guess that's kind of more of a shot at Andahar. 
because, you know, Andahar, he makes so much contact and it's, you know, very hard contact, but he, he needs to sharpen up on defense. Although he made an incredible throw from left field the other day, I think it was to get out Bogarts at second base. So he can definitely play that position. Um, kind of like him over there. I had an out of the box idea about him. I'll definitely bring up later that I feel like could kind of solve what the Yankees kind of have as their main issue. I, I don't think that the issue is necessarily who they have on their roster or even who's healthy right now. I think it's the usage of their players. Um, and I think that that, you know, I, like, I don't, I don't want to, you know, be upset at Boone mainly because like, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to disrespect someone who I may or may not work for. And I do think that, you know, he, he does have the mind for it, you know, that being said, there's certain things that I think I could help him out with that he's not seeing with how to combine these guys. And if that problem was rectified, we could be looking at, you know, one of the best teams in the majors. And I think there's just one or two things that are off. So I don't want to be too critical of a guy that, you know, is in that kind of position because obviously they put him in that position for a reason. He knows his stuff. Um, so, you know, I just do think that there's, there's some lineup construction issues that could definitely be ironed out. Um, that's probably the kindest way I can say it. Um, but we'll, we'll get back to that, you know, because I do think that that will be ironed out also with who's being productive. I think we're already starting to see the lineup issues in the outfield uh, get ironed out. And in the infield, that is going to be ironed out probably over the course of the next month. So we're looking at, you know, roster construction issues still going on right now. But a lot of it, like I said, these guys are absolute physical beasts. And I've mentioned here numerous times that guys who have ridiculous bat speed, they take until later on into the season, multiple months into the regular season to really round into form. And the Yankees, unfortunately, didn't do much for uh, lineup versatility. So, you know, outside of like Gardner and a couple other guys like LeMayhew, um, Everyone is a bat speed guy. Sanchez is a bat speed guy. Stanton, Voigt, Torres, Andahar, Frazier, Judge, you know, all of these guys, every single one of them, they're all bat speed. Urshel is a bat speed guy. And that's one that not a lot of people know about because, you know, he doesn't necessarily look like a bat speed guy because of his bat path. Uh, he's actually had one of the highest swing speeds at point of impact in the major leagues for the last now three years. Like maybe four years actually. Um, his issue, the reason why he couldn't hit initially was uh, his launch angle was, was terrible. Um, so the Yankees are full of these guys who have tons of bat speed. And, you know, typically those guys take until the second half to heat up. So nobody's really, like, there's, there's not been a point in this season where they've had a one through nine lineup of people who are really above average hitters. So why, why do you think that they're going to be doing so well when they're not scoring? You know, this is kind of like what happened a few years ago. The Dodgers had a lineup of almost all lefties and they couldn't hit for like 40 games, 50 games, something like that in a row. And then they went on a streak where I think they won like 52 out of like 75 or something like that. Um, and it was incredible, right? But it was totally hot and cold because the whole lineup was lefties, just like right now. 
the whole lineup is righties. And it was the same type of lefty, just like right now, it's the same type of righty. That being said, because righties aren't as affected by the shift as lefties are, I do think that this is an approach that could work into the second half. And as the team is coming together this year, I do think that lineup versatility might come into being naturally, um, although not necessarily with you know lefty righty lefty righty but more with regards to like approach patience and aggression and figuring out you know where to put the guys that are speedy and where to put the guys that can hit elite competition and you know where to put guys who need protection in the lineup i think as the season goes on that's going to figure itself out um but this is the yankees and if you look at that offense there's no way that those guys are not going to hit there's no way that by the end of the year they're not going to have like a top, you know, five, six offense in major league baseball. So with looking, yeah, with looking at the, the, the pitching, the Yankees haven't had this type of pitching since I think David Wells was a Yankee. So you're looking at like 2003. Um, same thing with the bullpen. We haven't had this kind of bullpen in years. Um, you know, that being said, when you have the bullpen, you have the starting rotation, you have the defense you're just waiting for the offense to come around. Um, a lot of people are, are, are noting that the base running of the team is down, but I think that's mainly because the confidence of the team is down. I think the team is in a rut and I think they're being extra cautious on the base paths, probably overthinking in a lot of ways. Uh, they just need to get on a streak, a streak of doing really, really well because right now with everybody not doing good, it's getting in certain players' heads. And that's another thing. And I've said this before. You need to get Clint Frazier offense, or not offense, uh, confidence. Because with a guy like Clint Frazier, if he does not have confidence, he's not going to play well. And I think the whole team playing in this kind of way is affecting him. I think one of the best things that this team could do for Frazier, start batting him lead off. Get DJ LeMahieu out of the one spot. Take the pressure off LeMahieu. You put him in the one spot. Put Frazier in the one spot. He'll be coming up at the beginning of the game. No expectations. Just play your game, kid. Nobody's on base. You know, just produce offensively. We don't care if it's a walk. We don't care if it's a single. We don't care if it's a double or a triple or a homer. Play your game. Because if he can do that in the first at-bat, then just go from there. You know, then he has a two-hit game. Maybe it's the the first at-bat and it's the third at-bat. Or maybe it's the first at bat and the fourth at bat but by giving him all those extra at bats and giving him extra at bats where nobody's particularly on base you know if, if you're batting first a lot of the time at the bottom of the lineup the worst hitters won't be on base for you you know ideally you want to turn the lineup over but with the way that you know the yankees are which is streaky there's going to be a lot of times where he's coming up later in the game with no one on again so just let him play his game. Let him do this, you know, at the big league level for a full year. And then he can look at the back of his baseball card and be like, hey, me playing my game works. We can build on that next year. Because it's very clear the ability's there. If you're looking at him, he, his problem is swing percentage. He just doesn't swing. And it's a confidence issue. I don't think, it, I don't think Clint Frazier isn't a guy who's a typically aggressive ball player for power. Like that's, I mean, look at the back of his baseball card, look at the scouting report, look at all of it. 
I think it's a confidence issue. I think he's overthinking things. Too much data when he's entering the batter's box. Um, bat him first. You know, put him up right in front of Judge. Um, or right in front of Stanton, because now that's the other thing. Stanton looks like the best position for him in the entire lineup is two. Mainly because in the first inning, pitchers make mistakes. And it gives him more of an opportunity to hit home runs early in the game, walk early in the game, get on, you know, some sort of um, level of production that he could sustain in, in, in at-bats later on into the game. Uh, and I, I've never been in, uh, on board with, with putting Judge and Stanton back-to-back. Both, to, both of them have, the, have similar strike zones, so it makes it easier to pitch to both of them if you put them back-to-back. So probably put Luke Voigt in between them because Luke Voigt's also a guy who needs to learn to be aggressive. And in the first inning, he's going to get pitches to hit. So having those three guys up in the first inning, I think it works beautifully. And then if any of them get on base, which they should, one of them at least, then you have Judge come up fourth. Um, so that way Judge will still probably get his at-bats in the first inning um, and also at-bats that are you know crucial for driving in runs because that's who he is. Um, but yeah, I don't think that the Yankees should be worried at all. Um, you know, most years uh, where the Yankees should be worried is like, oh, okay, we're at this point in the season – our pitching's not doing so great, and we're, we're seeing all sorts of injuries. Got some of the best pitching in the league, and the injuries are, are minor relative to previous years. We'll be fine. Just got to sit through this. Um, with regards to the rest of the team, uh, or the rest of the teams, rather, um, I, I think the Blue Jays fans should start to be concerned because the Yankees haven't even heated up, and – they basically have the same record as you. Uh, you know, the Red Sox look to be fairly consistent with this team over a full year. It's not like they're going to get exceedingly better. None of their players are, are, are going to get that much better. They're, just, they're the same guys. That's kind of just who they are. Um, and then uh, in addition to that, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, they're going to be calling up Josh Lowe, Wander Franco, and Videl Brujan over the course of the year. Um, so they're not going to become exactly tons weaker either, even with guys like Joey Wendell coming back to earth, G-Man Choi coming back to earth, um, and like Zunino coming back a bit to earth. It's not going to be enough when you're bringing up guys of that talent, three of them. Um, so looking at the Blue Jays, you know, if I'm, the, if I'm a Blue Jays fan, it's like I said at the beginning of the season, you know, I, I guess I'd be being like, oh man, I guess, I guess James was right fourth place. Sorry, guys. I called it. You should have believed me. All right. Let your team develop. You got a lot of good players, like literally get some, get a couple of guys, couple of guys during the off season. And then you can really challenge for the division next year, but fourth place, dude, fourth place. Uh, Cause he, like I said, the Yankees are going to get better. The Red Sox are this and the Rays are this. So is what it is. Um, so I'm not even, I'm not exactly sure. I, I'd say for the Blue Jays, uh, there's there's not enough fans panicking, if that makes sense. Like there's too many fans that are that are assured that they're just going to be fine, with not very much info behind that. So yeah, the Blue Jays fans, you need to guys, you guys need to panic a little more. Uh, you know, put put that pressure on your front office if that that even is a thing. Um, Let's see. Obviously, no reason to panic if you're the Red Sox or the Rays. 
Um, although with the Rays, there's going to be a little bit of an offensive drop off as the baton gets handed off, but it's not going to be really enough to stop the Rays from continuously winning. You know, they're a great team. They're a very balanced team. They're an outstanding defensive team. And as the year goes on, they're going to be more well-rounded offensively, not necessarily better offensively. Um, so then we move into the, uh, the central. Because I don't think it's worth bringing up the Orioles because why be disappointed in a team that is literally like the worst team in the major leagues. I, mean, I don't know if I'd say that they're the worst, but they're in the bottom three. So that's pretty bad. Um, I guess you could stretch it and say bottom four, but literally there's no way to say that they're like the fifth worst team. So you're, you're bottom four at best. So yeah, you know, no way to really necessarily be disappointed or excited about that team right now. But yeah, uh, Central, the Tigers are the Tigers. Same kind of thing with the Orioles. No real reason to be excited or anything with, with them. Um, the Royals Royals fans got way too excited about this team way too early. Um, I think that they're kind of settling into reality right now, at least from what I've seen. Royals fans are like, oh, okay, it's another growth year. All right. Well, at least we got a couple of good players. At least Benintendi's doing well. At least Carlos Santana is doing well, you know. Maybe Merrifield picks it up with power. We'd like that. You know, maybe that's where they're coming from now. But I think they 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 know that this is they're not a playoff team. They're not going to be really trying for a playoff team. I think they're kind of coming a bit down to earth. So they're realizing, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of unrealistic expectations in the Royals fandom of this team. I think they got excited at the beginning, which was unrealistic. And now they're like, okay, cool. Now we know what's up. Um so I guess good on you Royals fans for just like acknowledging reality, you know, not being deluded. Um, a lot of fan bases can fall into like, oh, my team's good now. Deal with it. Like even if there's clear, amazing signs, look, bright, shiny signs, you know, on the highway with neon on it, right? <laughs> that this is not for real. So um, Cool. Uh, the Indians. Indians are surprising a lot of people, but I told people at the beginning of the year that the Indians like combined like their players in the same exact way and styles. Tampa Bay combined their players. They went lefty, righty, lefty, righty, lefty, righty. They went with great defense. Uh, but the only difference that I'd say between them and Tampa Bay is where Tampa Bay decided to go with patient hitters who are going to walk, work the count and hit for home runs against, you know, their handedness. These guys who play for the Indians, they're all aggressive hitters. So they're going to hit whatever you give them, and they're going to run the bases because that's the other thing that the Indians have. Not only is it aggressive approaches, lefty, righty, lefty, righty, but it's also elite base running and plus defense. So any sort of singles, players are going multiple bases. Uh, anything that you give them that's hittable, these guys are hitting. Um, so that's probably the driving reason why the Indians are, are, are scoring runs and doing well and producing and, 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 you know, as high in the division as they are uh, not to say that they don't have any other players, you know, Josh Naylor from the left side, Framil Reyes, he's injured right now, but he'll be back uh, from the right side, Jose Ramirez switch hitter. You know, they have some guys, you know, who, who, who give them hitting ability and versatility in the, you know, lefty righty switch hitter. Uh, kind of, you know, mold, 
But in large part, this is a club that succeeds for the same reasons that Tampa Bay did in that you're going to be doing that lefty-righty thing, but you're doing that specifically so that you can hit your average pitchers and your elite pitchers. So you can create mistake pitches. Um, and I think that, you know, honestly, I, I like it a little bit better than what the Rays are doing because it's not like they're doing it just with polished players in the way that the Rays are doing it with polished players. You're doing, you're, you're doing it with really toolsy players who are former top prospects. So with the Rays, the league is slowly learning these guys and adapting to them, and the Rays keep having to trade for guys. Whereas with the Indians, each of these guys that they have with all these tools, they, they should be and could be getting better on a year-to-year basis because they're toolsy. They're trying to convert that into results. So um, where the Rays are doing this approach with power and patience and capitalizing on mistakes outside the zone with the walks, patience, the power is mistakes inside the zone. The Indians are just going out and hitting what they can, and they're toolsy enough where they should be able to grow from here. So I think it's a really cool approach. I think it's taking what Tampa Bay is doing and, and doing a, a version of it in, in, in a way that could be conducive to growing a team in a way that's you know obviously a little bit more scouting-based, which is you know kind of really cool to see a team you know beat, beat Tampa Bay in any sort of way scouting-wise. Um, so I give a lot of credit to the Indians with what they're doing. They also develop pitching really, really well. That being said, like I thought, Cavalli and Plesak aren't nearly who they used to be. They're just serviceable starters. Uh, I think the key for the Indians to be doing well um, this year is if Cal Quantrill comes around in the back of their rotation, they added him from the Padres, and if Tristan McKenzie finds the zone and gets confident with his pitches uh, enough to not walk eight people per nine innings. Because we all know that, like, if you look at Tristan McKenzie's highlights, please do from last year, from the 2020 season, you look at his highlights, he's hitting the corners of the zone. He's doing everything that he has to do to be an utter ace. The thing is, is that this year, now he's walking everyone. It just disappeared. I think it's a confidence thing. I think, you know, you, you send him down to the minors for a small tune-up, you bring him back to the big leagues and you're looking at once again, another ace. Um, and, you know, who knows if he'll be able to sustain it because as the season went on last year, the velocity started to decline. This might, this guy might end up being one of the best relievers in baseball, but if they can develop him into a starter, you're looking at a really, really good top three, top four in that rotation, depending on how you want to do that moving forward. You got Shane Bieber in there. You got uh, Daniel Espino, who's going to be coming up from the minors. I love him as a, as a pitching prospect. You got Cal Quantrill, who can come around. You got Tristan McKenzie. That could be a killer four-man rotation in the future. Uh, Quantrill will develop likely over the course of this full year. He's probably not going to be himself until the end of the year. McKenzie, same thing. He's probably going to find himself mid to the end of the year, and he'll be fine for the playoffs. Uh, Espino is probably a 2022 or 2023 guy. Um, that being said, I have to mention him because he's just, he's outstanding. I love him in that system. Um, but yeah, the Indians are doing fine. None of their fans should be concerned. Uh, I just thought I'd really explain why they're doing okay, why they're doing so well. A lot of people don't understand that. Um, and then of course we have the White Sox who, despite losing Eloy Jimenez, brought in Yerman Mercedes, 
is basically doing the same thing. Uh, despite losing, you know, Luis Robert, who I think is one of the best players in the major leagues, uh, they ended up getting by with the offense that they had because the offense that they had ended up being enough. And Brian Kenny, he did a segment about this on the MLB network. He was talking about how if you're looking at the White Sox offense, you're talking about versatility, especially versatility of approach. They're doing a lot of different things across their roster. I think it's part of the reason why they're scoring so many more runs right now than a team like the Yankees, who against, you know, again, it's lineup construction. You get the lineup construction, you're going to score a similar amount of runs to a team like the White Sox. The White Sox don't have tons of versatility in terms of lefty, righty, lefty, righty. They have a couple switch hitters, sure, but it's not like it's, you know, a completely balanced act there. Um, in terms of looking at it and, you know, in terms of production and types of players, uh, the versatility, you know, shows up a, a, a little bit more, but it, it, it's complicated. So, uh, but again, we, we could cover the White Sox and why the White Sox are doing so well on a different show because I want to make sure we can make it through, you know, the rest of the divisions here. Point is the, the White Sox are diversifying their lineup enough and the Yankees could do something very, very similar and basically get like the same results. Um, so the White Sox are awesome. You know, you know, before the year, they were my pick to win the World Series, Chris. You remember that? Gotcha. And then they had the injuries and I was like, no, nah, it's the Yankees now. Right now, I think it could be either of them. It's kind of up in the air. It all depends on uh, whether Boone's going to, uh, you know, change the lineup construction. If he doesn't, and, you know, we end up with the same kind of lineup construction for the rest of the year, I have to go back to leaning White Sox. But, you know, right now it's literally tied. Um, I remember that. That was probably like our, our second episode. Something like second that. Second or yeah. third episode that we talked about that. Absolutely. Um, so then, you know, Moving on to the West, um, is it time to worry about the Rangers? They've never had a chance. I don't know anyone who like really thought that the Rangers, when they were doing decently, were going to do anything this year. Not a chance. Not a chance. Um, the Mariners, a lot of their fans were like excited about the young talent that they have. But no one, no one really thought that they were going to be winning a division this year. I think... And if you're an Angels fan, panic mode has come and gone. Um, everyone, everybody important on the roster got hurt or was unable to contribute to the full degree that they could or just downright stopped playing well. Jose Iglesias, he forgot how to field for like the first two months of the season. A gold glove winner, a multiple time. Gold glove winner, forgot how to field overnight. I think it's because of where they had him positioned. They had him positioned way too close. Don't know what that was about. Fletcher's offense fell off a cliff when the league realized that by changing the balls, you know, they just couldn't, like he'd never be able to hit the ball basically out of the infield. So they played the, you know, outfield in and they played the infield wide. And now Fletcher can't hit for any power. So he's been neutralized. Walsh did what I, was, what I thought he was going to do offensively Iglesias took a bit but he's heated up and is doing right about what I thought he would do offensively uh, but again it took a while Rendon got hurt and has been very slow to heat up Kurt Suzuki fell off a cliff at catcher uh, Trout got hurt yeah that's the big one like how are you going to do it without Trout Trout's what pulls everything together 
Upton's been up and down with injuries, and he's a hot and cold player. Hasn't really been able to get fully hot yet because obviously lineup issues and not being fully healthy. Uh, Dexter Fowler out for the season. And then, of course, Marsh and Adele were not deemed big league ready. Same thing with Renjifo. So, um, you know, they've basically been at AAA doing pretty decently and trying to, you know, grow enough to be worthy of a call up. And then because of the, you know, scrubs being brought in to replace all of these guys, you know, Bundy, Dylan Bundy and Andrew Heaney, who have been doing really good at walk to strikeout ratio, both of them fell off a cliff in terms of ERA. So they're not going, you're not going to win with just Shohei Otani. There's no way to just win with Shohei Otani. If you're going to look at a team where like everything went wrong, the Angels are the team where everything went wrong. Injuries, ineffectiveness, lack of lineup protection, defensive issues, everything went wrong for the Angels. Moving on to Oakland. Oakland's been Oakland. You know, they're just doing Oakland things, bringing in guys from different organizations, using them as bullpen pieces, growing them into rotation pieces, um, not allowing too many runs. Uh, very healthy lineup that walks, plays great defense, and hits a consistent amount of homers. Um, they have enough lefty, righty, lefty, righty to throw pitchers off. Um, that's just what they do. They do that on a year-to-year basis, and they very rarely upgrade from that exact profile. I don't know why, but I don't know. Like I don't know what they expect. Like, do they expect with this profile just doing the same thing year in year out that they're going to contend for a World Series? It's not going to happen, but they can contend for, you know, a wild card. So they're going to do that, which they always do. Um, And now, you know, working our way around to the cheaters. um, Now here's the deal, right? I was, I was pretty sure. (laughs) Is that that the Astros? Yeah. 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 I was pretty sure that these guys (laughs) were done with the cheating. You know what I mean? Because like, you know, all right, you know, look, all your numbers fall off a cliff and, you know, then it was like, okay, well, all of these guys, they can only hit lefties, you know, because their swings are now so slow and they're working the count to, to, to hit these numbers, you know, obviously because they can't hit a big league, you know, pitch exactly, you know, like a, a well-executed rather big league pitch. Um, and now you're starting to see all of the cheaters numbers come back. And in some cases, some of them are hitting better than they ever have. They're cheating again. They're doing it again. They're just doing it with like buzzers and stuff that's under the uh, uniform so you can't detect it. I'm sorry. I, I do not believe players who take away their ability to, to cheat and their numbers literally fall off a cliff to the point where it's like some of the worst numbers in the major leagues offensively. And now all of a sudden, a year later, it's all good and you're back to your normal production. Uh-uh. You don't do that, Jose Altuve. You don't do that, Carlos Correa. You do not get to pass go. You don't get your $200. None of that Monopoly stuff. You should be banned from baseball. You're scum. Anyway, um, so that, yeah, that's Houston. That's why Houston's doing decent. Um, Yeah, cheaters. So uh, that's the AL. Um, (laughs) Now moving on to the NL, NL East. like seriously, like I, these guys are cheating, okay? Like if you never drop it, it's just well, they're doing it again. 
So there's no way for me to, to, to drop it. They're, they're so clearly doing it again. You don't go from being like 50% below league average, you know, 30% below league average versus righties, you know, like you don't, you don't go from that back to being 40% above league average. Like you, you don't go from being like Daniel Descalzo to being like Nelson Cruz. Like that does not happen. And they did that. So yeah, they're cheating again. Um, and honestly, I'll be real with you. Like if they keep this up, I want everything to cheat. Even the playing field, let everybody know what pitches are coming. Cause this is insane. And I'm like starting to get angry again about it because it's so clear that they're doing it again. Like just looking at their numbers, like, like seriously, Correa is hitting everyone again when like just a month ago, he couldn't hit righties. Bregman, same deal. Except Bregman's having like a career year. Guriel is having a career year. Altuve is back to, you know, as good as he's ever been after being like 40% below league average. So come on, come on. Get out of here, you know? Anyway, um, so we get to the NL East. Um, Marlins are the Marlins. You know, I don't think there's any sort of hype around them in any sort of way. Um, you know, they did decent last year, but, you know, no one was really expecting them to, to make a push. Uh, Phillies are the Phillies. You know, a ton of guys who show up in big moments, but um, not necessarily enough depth to be as competitive as I think they need to be over a full year. Although I will say similar things have happened in recent years to the Mets and Braves that have changed the perceptions of their depth. And I think it might lean in favor of the Phillies because during those years, the players that they have, they've kind of held, held steady. And like Phillies are the same team that they were a few years ago when in a lot of cases, a few of the teams in that same division are, they're not who they, they quite were. In some ways they've upgraded, in some ways they've downgraded or at least the perception of them entering the year uh, has. So um, like the, the Mets, like the Mets a few years ago, they were like, oh, with this Mets team, if it's healthy, it's going to be incredible. Well, it, it wasn't healthy. And then a whole bunch of players like, you know, left the team, declined. A lot of different things happened with their bullpen. Like the Phillies have just been the same team. And when you're having all of this turmoil happen on all the other teams around you, um, it, it's kind of played for them this season, you know, not every year will it, but you know what I mean? This year it kind of has played in their favor and they've been pretty competitive. I don't think it's going to last. Um, I think like the nationals are probably going to get better as the year goes on. Not that I think the nationals are going to finish that much higher than the Phillies, but I do think that Philly slump is probably going to coincide with when the nationals are doing really, really good. So that's why they're going to probably finish with a similar record. Um, I think when that happens, Nationals are making up ground. Phillies are dropping. I think during that period of time, the Braves are going to take off. The Mets are going to be fully healthy. I think that's their division. Um, I think if you're a Nationals fan, you can get excited about how the best part of your season is going to be in front of you rather than behind you. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your team's going to make the playoffs. If they did, that'd be really cool because they have a great team like to watch in the playoffs, really fun playoff team, team that could like actually make a lot of action happen in game. Um, but like, I think someone, someone online, I think on fan graphs said it best, the Philly, or not, not the Phillies, the, the nationals, um, 
What the Nationals do is they stack all of their players. They depend so much on their stars that if something goes wrong with their stars, they can't really catch up enough to win as many games as the Mets or the Braves. So they're looking at, you know, second wild card competing for that. And I think, you know, it's a very similar thing with the Phillies. You stack your best players. You depend so much on them. If anything goes wrong, you're, you're just competing for a second wild card. It's very hard for you to, you know, win that spot because there's so many teams that are in competition for it. Um, so then let's move from the East to the Central. If you're the Reds, if you're a Red fan and you're not concerned, you, you should be. Reds are done. And I said it entering the year. This is a powerful squad. They throw hard. They hit the ball very hard. But that's about it. They don't have defense at all. They don't really have a lot of fine-tuned ability with regards to throwing breaking balls, with regards to any of that type of stuff. It's very, very, like, a lot of guys who are two-pitch pitchers. Um, and if you do have a breaking ball, it's nasty. But like I said, it's your breaking pitch. You don't have a second one. You don't have, like, a change-up. It's a lot of two-pitch pitchers. Um, the Reds are just a power team. And I don't think that that really works in a game that needs defense that works in a game that needs you hitting your spots and, and, and adding a third pitch. And, you know, yeah. So the Reds are, in my opinion, pretty much done. The Brewers are doing a lot better than I thought they would. Uh, I think they made the absolute wrong call with regards to getting rid of Orlando Garcia. Uh, he's tearing it up with the Braves right now. And uh, the Braves don't really have a spot for him, but you know, at some point they're going to have to because of how good he's doing in AAA. Um, I'll tell you, if, if the, the Brewers had Orlando Arcia doing what he's doing in AAA and called him up, Brewers might have that, that shortstop hole filled that they've been thinking they could fill with like Luis Urias and Willie Adamas. Um, but the Brewers have done a lot better than I thought they were going to do. And it's mainly because I thought they were entering the year as a, as a two-starter team. Freddie Peralta ended up breaking out and both Woodruff and Burns went from being like very good twos to being total aces. So now they have like three aces, maybe two aces and a two. They have a lockdown bullpen. They have a versatile uh, and an aggressive offense with good base running. Um, I think the Brewers are actually going to give the Cubs uh, a run for their money in the division. I had I, the fan graphs thought that was going to happen this year. I, I could not see that for one second. Uh, I always said that the, the Cardinals are going to have a second half playoff push. I still think that they're going to, they need Goldschmidt to be hot for that to happen. But uh, the Brewers are essentially functioning with like a half of a lineup. Like but it's working because of the amount of pitching that they have. Like Yelich is in there. He's hitting. Colton Wong's playing his defense and getting on base and, and hitting enough that he, he can basically be their leadoff guy getting driven in. From the left side, their leadoff guy from the right side is Kane. Kane's been hurt on and off, but he'll be fine in terms of, you know, playoff push, second half. Um, they have Avesel Garcia who swings – at everything and he's just gone off in the last month um and then omar narvaez as well they have him from the left side he's another guy who's who's turned himself into a middle of the order hitter came out of nowhere in my opinion because last time we saw him hit was like three years ago and then he became a great defender because he was a terrible defender before that point in time 
His hitting completely disappeared. Now the defense is there and the hitting is there. So, um, yeah, for the Brewers, you know, get excited about your team. Uh, I wouldn't quite get so excited to think that, you know, you're going to finish in first, but you have a shot. Um, Cubs are being the Cubs right now. They're very much living up to the preseason expectations. The Cardinals are kind of living up to the preseason expectations of really struggling in the first half. Uh, at least they're at that point right now where they're really struggling. Um, and second half, they should come around again. So they did start off pretty hot, but they're going to finish really hot because then you're going to have a lot more of their hitters, you know, well-rounded and, and, and into form and with their swings in line, mainly Goldschmidt, but a couple others as well. Um, that brings uh, the Pirates, you know, Pirates of the Pirates. They're, they're the last place team. They're going to be a last place team. It is what it is. Uh, moving on to the West. The Dodgers and the Padres, I think, for the whole season, are going to compete for that division. Um, I think it depends on the health of the Dodgers pitching. But if the health of the Dodgers pitching holds up, I think they're going to win the division. But if that doesn't, I, I think that the Padres will win the division because the Padres, they have the, the pitching advantage. So for the Dodgers to compete, all they need to do is match that pitching advantage as best as they can because the offense that the Dodgers have, in my opinion, clearly over the regular season beats what the Padres currently have. So if they can just keep pace with the pitching, the Dodgers have the division, but we will see, we will see how that ends up uh, working. Padres of the Padres, probably the most exciting team in the major leagues. Let me see. Is there any others that I'd put on that level of excitement? I think the only other team that's right there with the Padres is the White Sox. Those two teams are probably the two most exciting teams in baseball. And even then I, I really heavily lean Padres because Padres have a whole bunch of people on their roster who are insanely fast, who can hit the ball as far as anyone in baseball, who can make as good defensive plays as anyone else who can steal home. Like on a good day, multiple of their players could be as good as you can see a ball player be. You know, they got like a guy like they have Jorge Mateo. He's like an 85 run tool, like in terms of on the bases. Doesn't mean he's great, you know, the, the greatest ball player, period. But they have that kind of thing going for them where it's like any individual night. They got an ace going out there. They have guys out of the bullpen who throw ridiculously hard. They got, you know, people who can steal home and are some of the fastest base runners in baseball. They got people who can make defensive plays that don't even make sense. They have power hitters who can hit the ball 500 feet. Like they have people who can, you know, run at an 80 grade run tool. Like this is the most exciting as you'll see a ball club be as far as contending clubs go. Um, so if you're a Padres fan, just watch baseball, man. Like this is your time. Um, Rockies suck. Um, Diamondbacks are sucking. I think it's probably about time to do a, a bit of a fire sale. Because I think you can get a lot for a guy like Gallon. I think you can probably get a lot for a guy like, uh, not a lot, lot, but, you know, a decent amount for a guy like David Peralta. Um, I think you could get a lot for a guy like Carson Kelly. That allows you to put Dalton Varsho at catcher and just let him grow. Uh, I think you can probably get a lot for, no, no, I know you can get a lot for Escobar. You can get a ton for Cattell Marte. You might get a little for Calhoun, but probably not too much. I think he's a free agent. Either if he's a free agent, if he's a free agent after the year, you're not getting anything. 
But if he's a free agent after next season, I think you probably get something for him. Um, if Nick Ahmed keeps hitting, um, I think I brought up that like you know Nick Ahmed was was really not hitting and initially was a guy who was going to come off one of my player lists early on, and now he's his offense has really picked up since the end of the first month. So I think Nick Ahmed might even be a guy that you can get a pretty decent return for, given that you don't really find shortstops who can hit and play that level of defense. Um, yeah, I mean, I do not see the Diamondbacks being able to compete with who they have at the big league level, added to even the plus minor leagues that they do have. And mind you, the Diamondbacks have a fine minor league system. I think what you got to do is you got to bank on that system. Bank on that you have enough to add to. Bank on that you have, okay, I got the middle of the order figured out, the top of the lineup figured out. Well, let me get some pitching for my system. Let me get the aces for the future. Let me make sure that when all these guys are coming up, we actually have an opportunity to contend with the division winners. Because right now, what you got at the big league level plus what you got at the minor league level in the next couple of years will not beat the Dodgers or the Padres. It's not going to happen. So I think they, yeah, I think that the Diamondbacks got to start trading 100%. Um, and that actually goes for the, the, the Giants as well. You've got a lot of guys at the end of their career who are putting up really good seasons at the end. Like they're no way going to repeat these seasons ever again. You're not going to be challenging for a playoff spot later this year. Um, I say go trade those guys, finish up loading up your farm system, go back at it in two, three years. Because uh, if you're looking at the Giants, Yastrzemski, this is his peak. If you're looking at the Giants, Belt's not going to be any more good than he is now. Brandon Crawford, same deal. And I know this is kind of blasphemous, but hear me out if you're a Giants fan. All right? Let Buster Posey spend his last elite seasons on a team that can win him a championship. Get him one last trophy. He's one of the best players in the game. He's a future Hall of Famer. Put that in the bank. I said it. He, he needs a championship. Let him, while he's doing this, while he's still hitting like as good of a catcher as there is, get him a championship. You're not going to do it with the Giants. If you're a true Giant fan, you're a true Posey fan, send them to Boston. God, I'd hate that as a Yankee fan. But send them to the Yankees. Send them to uh, Atlanta. Send them to the Mets. Send, send him somewhere where he can be in the playoffs. Don't trout him. Don't keep him from the playoffs. Don't keep one of the best players that we're going to see at the position that they play from the playoffs. And you know what else? You're going to be able to get a ton if you trade Buster Posey. You're going to get a ton if you trade a guy like that. You add it to all the other players that you can trade. Longoria having a career resurgence. He's not going to do this again. Trade them. Trade them. My dude, load up the system. Just makes so much sense right now. So much sense. Like, I'd even get creative with it. I'd be like, hey, Johnny Cueto, the end of the season – do you want to try being our closer? Yeah, that's right. A closer. So instead of being what the league thinks you are, which is like a decent number four or five starter, if you go in the bullpen, your fastball velocity comes up and you're doing that, you know, shimmy thing that you do to throw batters off, like your numbers are going to come back. And then all of a sudden 
you can go out on the market when you hit free agency, sign as a closer for like millions of dollars. Closers make money. Closers make bank. So A, you're giving Johnny Cueto a reason to make money in the future and become a really valuable player. And at the same time, he's building up trade value so that you can trade him. Like right now, you're not going to get anything for Cueto, especially for the money he's making. It's not, it's not happening. It's not happening. But last year of his deal, as one of the league's elite closers, when like you've already paid him for the first, you know, what, 80, 90 games of the season, trade him. The other team's not going to be paying him that much for the rest of the year. You've covered the beginning of it. You'll at least get a, a mid-class prospect for a grade A relief arm. Like that's the that's where the Giants need to start thinking. They need to start thinking about we're 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 we got really lucky by having all these guys do well at the same time at the ends of their career. Let's build a future off of this. Um, and honestly, like assess your own team and realize the Giants <clears throat> Giants are not going to be competing with the Braves or the Mets, or, or, or you know, the Yankees, or the, the White Sox, or the Rays. They're not going to ever be competing with those teams. They're not going to win a championship with these guys. So why don't you give them a chance to win one elsewhere? Like, their careers are over. This is the last chance that a championship team is going to want them and need them. Teams are too smart these days to be like, oh, well, now that Longoria is not hitting how he did in that one year, you know, he's 37 years old, 30, whatever, right? We're, we're, we're going to be hands off. We'd rather give it to the kid and grow him into it because, you know, again, you're not dealing with a guy who's in decline. You're not dealing with a guy who's making a lot of money. So do it. Trade these guys. Replenish the system. You already got a pretty decent system. And then go at it again the way, you know, you went at the World Series in 2010, 2012, 2014. Do that again in a few years when you have the pieces for it. But you're not going to be able to have, uh, to win a World Series with just these old dudes. You know, the only time that, you know, an old dude squad ever really like just picked it up and won the World Series, you know, laid on into, you know, their careers, all of them collectively, was the 2009 New York Yankees. And for that to happen, Cashman dropped like hundreds of millions of dollars on AJ Burnett, CC Sabathia, and Mark Teixeira that offseason. And I'm I'm not sure that the Giants have the ability to do those types of things mid-year. You know, get three guys worth a hundred million dollars each mid-season. Now you're really destroying your farm system, whatever you have, you know. So yeah, Giants, you need to, to really think about doing a fire sale. Honestly, if I'm a Giants fan, I'd be kind of excited about it because I'd be like, oh man, look at all these different teams that I can like sell a guy to. This team needs a third baseman. This team needs a, a you know a, a catcher. This team needs a shortstop. This team needs a center fielder. This team needs a first baseman. Like there's so many teams that need each of those pieces. You know, there's so many teams that need a Zach Gallon, an ace. Um no gallon, gallon, no gallon. That's, that's, that's the Diamondbacks. We were just talking about the Diamondbacks selling. So no, there's so many teams that need a um, a Gaussman. That's another guy 
you found him out of nowhere. You could keep him. I'm sure you could keep Gaussman. That's another thing. Giants fans are going to hear me say that and be like, what? Gaussman? Nah, yo. You're not going to win for a while. By the time you're back to winning, Gaussman's contract is going to be up. So deal him. It's at the peak of his value. Deal Desclafani. That's another one. Just invest in the future. I know it's, it's going to hurt. I know it's going to hurt. But like, this is like, a few years ago, this happened, okay? A few years ago, the Giants had a really good offense and a very similar situation with regards to pitching, all right? And people like me were saying the same thing. Trade, 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 trade. Replenish the system. And a bunch of Giants fans who really enjoyed what they were doing at the time were like, nah, 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 nah. We want to win one last championship with these guys. And uh, no, that doesn't work, okay? Um just be really thankful that you have a second opportunity to deal these guys and uh, replenish the entire system. And honestly, how many teams that are that when they're doing fire sales have more valuable players than a catcher, a third baseman, a shortstop, a center fielder, an ace, and a first baseman to sell? Those are incredibly valuable pieces. It's not like you're looking at just corner outfielders or DHs or second basemen. Those are very rare, valuable pieces to have production offensively and defensively at. They can, they can trade that. They can trade that. They get so much. Um, I think that kind of addresses all the teams throughout the league. I'd say the team that like is the most concerning from who we thought they could be before the season to who they've been is probably the twins. Um, but it's funny. The twins are of concern for basically the same reason that the Yankees are of concern. It's not necessarily that they don't have the talent on their team. It's that the lineup construction on a day-to-day basis is just so wrong. Um, I, I, I can't condone it. Like they have Nelson Cruz. Cool. They have Donaldson. Cool. Um, Buxton's been hurt, so that's not helped them at all. Simmons was hurt for a period of time, so that didn't help them at all. Um, it doesn't seem like Polanco and Arias ever play at the same time as each other. Seems that they have to have Sano in every single game and Kepler in every single game, that they also have a guy like either Garver, who's hurt right now. Again, that hurts their offense. And a guy like Donaldson in the game and a guy like Polanco in those games as well. So they're going with a lot of guys that are shiftable, are guys that can, you know, be turned into a double play because they're not particularly fast. And a lot of guys who are mistake hitters, meaning they're either going to get their production on walks or their production on pulling the ball for power. So when you're decidingly, you know, playing guys like that, that, that Rutledge dude at catcher, over people like Ostadio, who's a contact machine, when you're decidingly playing people like Polanco and Sano over Arias, and instead of diversifying the roster and having possibly Sano sit whenever you have too many patient hitters in, or maybe by finding a way to use Kepler in combination with Sano so they can highlight each other's weaknesses, there's not a lot of that stuff going on here. It's very much stack the patient guys together and then put all the, the, the singles hitters at the bottom. And, and, and there's not a lot of understanding how to balance them together, to put the right kind of continuity together, to score the kind of amount of runs on a day-to-day basis that they need to do to succeed. 
Now for the twins, this is the worst part because even if they can get their offense together, even if Buxton comes back and is hitting just as good as he did when he left, by the way, I called his breakout. Um, like actually I called his breakout a couple of years ago, but I kind of just stuck by him because I knew who he was through the injuries. Um, he did break out a couple of years ago, but it was very, it, it didn't look as big as it was because he got hurt that year and it wasn't exactly like 30% above league average. It was closer to 15% above league average, but with his offense, I mean, that's kind of the spark plug he needed to, to take off from here. He just needed to be a comfortable amount above league average so that he could look back and be like, Oh, I can be that. I can build from that. Um, so much of baseball is putting players in a position to be like, okay, that works. Now what I can do, uh, or now what can I do? But, <laughs> but yeah, you know, looking at, at, at the twins, it's very much, it's a roster usage issue. Um, the part that makes it something where they can't win, even if they fix that, is their pitching staff. Like Pineda's good because Pineda's a weak contact pitcher and he always will outdistance his analytics. But Maeda is not doing well. Berrios has picked it up for Maeda, but two pitchers is not going to be enough. And I believe Pineda just went on the IL, the, the, the injured list as they're calling it now. So, yeah, I think the Twins are in rough shape. I think it's fully time to press the panic button with the injuries that they currently have, with the lack of pitching that they have throughout the rest of uh, the back of their rotation, um, with the way that the lineups are currently being put together. It's just, yeah, full-on panic mode. Uh, if I'm a Twins fan, you know, I, I, I want changes. I want lineup changes and the thing is is that and this kind of hurts me Rocco Baldelli I always liked him I thought he was a very smart ball player so it's just kind of odd to see him you know I guess shy away from putting together lineups that would even you know be consistent of his ability when he was a player you know you'd think that that's kind of how he would have his team structured um, I think it's probably ownership that is is forcing lineup choices uh, front office forcing lineup choices. Um, Cause I do think that that's probably similar to what's going on with the Yankees. I mean, look, it, if I was the Yankees, I would do this. And I, I wanted to end with this because, you know, no one wants to hear me talk about the Yankees for the whole entire thing, but this is how to fix the Yankees. This is all you'd have to do in order to get the Yankees to be functioning properly. Okay. Urshela is your third baseman, point blank. Torres is your shortstop, point blank. Both of them are, are – well, Torres is currently heating up. Urshela heats up as the season goes on because he's a bat speed guy with contact ability. It's all about just contact point. Um, LeMahieu, in order to get him to heat up, you need a couple of things from him. A, you need to make sure that he's in enough of a day-to-day rule that he's getting consistent at bats. You need to get him to be aggressive and confident in his aggression because otherwise he casts his arms too wide and he can't, you know, really square balls up as, as much. Uh, he's very, he's like a six, four, you know, people forget how, how big LeMahieu is. Um, so if you can get him in a position where he's going to be aggressive and confident when he comes in and play enough every day that he's getting every day at bats, I think you'll see, a lot of the old LeMahieu come out 
especially if you go lefty-righty with him or righty-lefty with him in lineup combination. I'm not sure putting him in the leadoff spot right now is the best idea, but I do think the idea of doing a double lineup and using him in the secondary number two hole or, or secondary number three hole might be a brilliant idea to get the kind of production you need out of him. I think that's, that's kind of was the key with LeMahieu. Getting LeMahieu lineup protection that he didn't have in Colorado. Moving him to a ballpark that favors what he does when he's confident, controlled in his aggression. Um, doing those two things uh, and, and getting him pitches to hit in general, like they, they thought initially that what would spark him would, put him in the, would be putting him in the leadoff spot. And that's what did initially. But I think now that he's been here, that he's, he's kind of gone back to his old, uh, how much he swings, his old swing ratios. I think if you want him to pick up those swing ratios, you have to change his playing time in some sort of way. And I think that because LeMahieu can play third and second and first, that creates the opportunity to create depth with this club. So I'm not saying put LeMahieu on the bench. I'm saying use LeMahieu as a Ben Zobrist. Use LeMahieu as your super utility player who gets everybody a day off and plays every day. One day, he's at third base giving Urshela a day off. The next day, he's at second base, his usual position. The next day, he's at first base, his usual position giving Luke Voigt a day off. Or he's at first base giving Stanton a day off where Luke Voigt's playing DH. And also with the secondary idea, which I'll bring up towards the end, LeMahieu would also get a second day playing second base. So he would get five games a week out of the six games that the Yankees play a week. So he'd be playing almost every single game and he'd have one day off a week. That's enough to keep him you know, firing at all cylinders when he does play. It's enough to keep him in the lineup, enough for him to play more than a full season of playing time. It's enough to keep him so sparingly from the lineup that he'd be able to use his aggression properly, as in he'd come in and he'd be like, I got to make an impact because today is one of the days I play. So uh, I think you get that kind of aggression, that kind of uh, positivity, that kind of production out of him in that role. And you also save the Yankees from worrying about what if someone gets injured? So that's, that's, a, that's a big thing there. Um, Luke Voigt, when, when he comes back very soon, by the way, uh, he will be taking the place of Chris Gittens, who I think is a, is a fine plug and play, play option. You know, perfect guy to bring in for, you know, 100 at-bats over the course of a year. Uh, but obviously not a guy that you really want playing every day for you. At least not yet. He's, he's an interesting guy because he's learned how to lower his strikeout rate by lot, a lot in AAA. Uh, that being said, the walk rate is so incredibly high that I have a hard time imagining the walk rate not going entirely into the strikeout rate at the big league level. He's striking out only 21% of the time, which is about league average. He's walking like 28% of the time. Nobody walks 28% of the time. Like a high walk rate is like 14%. So 28% is unheard of. Uh, it's like some Yasmani Grandal stuff. Um, but Sanchez should still be the everyday catcher. He's been getting better uh, as the season has gone on offensively. I believe the second month of the season, he was 20% above league average offensively. Um, 
now here's where things get interesting. Gardner needs to be in a quasi platoon in left field, meaning he plays all of the most important innings and versus most of the most important competition, but against a really good lefty starter, you put Miguel Andahar in for him in left field. And that's how you platoon him Gardner versus most righties Andahar versus the lefties that Gardner has trouble with. Okay. So that's how you get your production defensively, offensively, from left field. I think I noted Andahar's a pretty decent defender out in left field. Right field is like, I believe last year, Clint Frazier was like third place in the gold glove race in right field. So that's his position. That's the position that he plays best, right field. So put Frazier there. So you have Gardner and Andahar in left. You have Frazier in right, Judge in center field. Now that's wild. Okay, Yankees have been doing that a couple of games recently. And the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. Dave Winfield style. Same amount of athleticism, although Winfield was definitely a little faster. Just means that Judge has to play a little further back. That being said, Judge has ability to rob home runs like nobody else. So he gets that extra range at the wall in center field. And Judge has a cannon of a throwing arm. That's incredibly accurate. So in terms of throwing people out from center and, and, and accommodating for, you know, not quite having as much range as your typical center fielder, he has the throwing arm. And then here's the other thing in right field, he's got elite range. So he might actually have enough range to be an above average center fielder at six foot seven. That's wild. So if you translate what he does at the plate to center field, you're literally looking at offensively, defensively, one of the like top players in the sport, like it immediately takes judge from being like, Oh, judge is like a top 15, 10 position player, top five, top five. Cause <laughs> you don't see a guy who hits for that level of power gets on base at that level and can hit that many balls like aggressively as in like, you know, for power doubles, power, home run power across the zone without changing their approach at all. Judge does that because he's six foot seven. Judge is a fundamentally sound swing at six foot seven. That's the other thing. He's, it's not like you're looking at, you know, Stanton, who he, he strikes at a point. He has a V swing. It, Judge has a swing where if he's not right about it being a fastball, he can still get the bat head on the ball and keep it fair. Um, he's a unicorn, you know? He's one of those guys where how do you not, allow an RBI against him in a situation where judge knows it's his job to drive in one, you know? And I don't mean like, Oh, judge knows that if he doesn't do the job, he'll hand off the baton. No. If judge knows that he has to do the job, he gets the job done. Uh, so that's what I'm thinking in center field. It's a fine defensive option, obviously a fine offensive option. Uh, it maximizes also the defense of Gardner and Frazier. So now you're looking at three elite defenders in the outfield. You're looking at an elite defender from Urshela. Torres has actually defensively statistically put up elite defense, even if he's made a couple of big throwing errors. In terms of the numbers, he's an elite defensive shortstop, even including them. Everybody knows LeMay. He was as good of a defensive second baseman as exists. And if you're looking at people who can play first base, Luke Voigt is not the greatest. He's also not the worst. He's kind of just 
He doesn't have range. Okay. That's kind of the big thing. The big issue with Voight is that he doesn't have a ton of range, but the other thing with Voight is anything thrown to him, he catches. So he doesn't really allow for errors that much compared to most first basemen at first, because he's really good at getting the ball on a hop. He's really good at stretching for the ball. He's really good at coming off the bag, catching the ball and tagging the runner in one motion. So that before the runner, you know, reaches first. So he saves the rest of the infield, a lot of throws. Um, but now here's probably the most outlandish idea that I had for fixing the Yankees. While you're using LeMahieu at all of these different positions, instead of using him at, at, at rather second base, why has nobody thought up the idea of putting Miguel Andahar at second base? In an era of the shift, okay, how many times are you going to need Miguel Andahar to even be on the infield dirt? How many times are you going to need that? What does Miguel Andahar do well? What, what, what do we know that Miguel Andahar does well defensively? Is he fast? Then not, not really. How are his reactions? Pretty decent. So if he's playing back, you know, that can kind of make up for things. Uh, he takes forever to throw. He takes forever to get the ball out of his hand. That being said, when he does, Miguel Andahar has an absolute hose. He's got a cannon of an arm. And it used to be an issue at third base because so many players could, you know, beat things out from, from home to first because it took so long for, for Miguel Andahar to get to the ball and then to throw it. Uh, but at second base, where first base is literally right there, dude, uh, that arm might actually be playable. And with his offensive profile being a possible 300 hitter, being a 20 homer hitter, at second base, you don't usually see that. You don't usually see his offensive profile. So it's not just that you'd be figuring out how to get Andahar to be a big future piece for, like, for as many years as you'd need Andahar to be. Like He could be one of the, the future Yankees for the next decade, just like you know, Judges, just like Torah, you know, one of those guys. If you find a spot for him, the Yankees have not had a spot for him at first. They've not had a spot for him at third where he's awful. They've not had a spot for him in the corner outfield. Put him at second base, put him at second base. In an era of the shift, you can hide him at minimum. And like I said, remember I said at the beginning, LeMahieu gets a second day at second base. The second day that LeMahieu gets at second base is when Andahar goes to the outfield to spell uh, Gardner. Because remember I said Andahar is going to be in a quasi platoon with Gardner out there whenever Gardner faces a really, really tough lefty that can't get him out. You put him in a platoon with Andahar. And that's the one day that LeMahieu gets to have, well, the second day that LeMahieu gets to play second base in the infield. The first day is when he's just giving Andahar a scheduled day off. And that's how you get LeMahieu to play in five of the six games every single week. Now, in terms of the late game stuff in winning late game, you got to take Sanchez and be able to either move him to first base, give, give void a little bit, get him off his feet or, you know, take Sanchez and move him to DH keep Sanchez bat in the game late game, ideally taking Stanton's late game bat out because Stanton, you know, against elite pitching, I don't think he does very well. Um, I think that, you know, it'd be pretty easy to get him out late game. And there's going to be a lot of big situations that need him to do a lot of things rather than just crush mistake pitches. And I think he's only really one lane with that kind of thing. 
Um, so taking Stanton out of the game for Sanchez, that could work as well. But either way, late game, if there's a lefty that you bring in to get out someone or whatever, right? And you have to bring in a righty off the bench. You bring in Higashioka because Higashioka torches lefties. And then Higashioka also gets playing time whenever Cole is pitching because he's Cole's personal catcher. That's how you get the most out of Higashioka. And that's how you utilize his defense in combination with getting Sanchez bat in the lineup every single day. As far as if there's a guy who comes into the game late who's not a lefty, so you, you, know, you don't have the opportunity of using Higashioka against him, that's where you use Runet Odor. Runet Odor is there as a lefty bat who hits righties, who can play plus-plus defense at second base late in games when you either take Andahar out or move Andahar to DH or move Andahar to a corner outfield. He upgrades your infield defense so you can get the double play late in games. Odor also as a guy who can walk. He, he gets on base for the rest of the lineup or as a guy who hits mistake pitches for home runs and is a lefty pull hitter, both of those things allow him for late game heroics to be one of those guys. You bring it off the bench to face that tough righty that they just brought in. And he does great addition uh, that like additionally that a lot of people don't know about Odor is Odor is also a guy who's one of the best players in the big leagues at stealing home reliably. He's done it many times throughout his career. So if we can even have a guy on third base and replace him with Odor, that puts a guy in scoring position or if Odor just gets to third base. Okay. So that's another uh, added factor. So you have the Higashi Oka Odor late game platoon, but then you might think about it this way. Higashi Oka can hit any lefty. He can hit for contact. He can hit for power against them, but Odor, he's only really going to either walk or hit for a home run against a righty. Do you see what I'm trying to say? He's either he's only, he's only going to do it if they give him a mistake or unless it's like a really big moment and he's being especially aggressive and the pitcher can't account for it, you know, because Odor is a guy who can change his approach. He's, it's part of the reason why I like him as much as I do, because even though his, 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 all of his numbers across the board aren't really blowing your mind, they play up. Uh, and it's mainly because he's such a toolsy player. He was a top prospect. And he never really reached that peak that he could have gotten to. But if he really tries, it, it, he can show, it, it, can, it can show up in moments. Um, and then lastly, is, like I said, he's not really a guy who's going to hit for contact against righties. So even if like, they, they give a pitch that's hard to hit, like, he's not really necessarily always going to do damage against that. So against righties that are just going to throw something in the zone, you also have Tyler Wade. Wade has no power whatsoever but he makes a ton of contact and he's ridiculously fast. Um, and he could bat like 280 or something like that, even off of just singles. Um, so he's the guy that you bring in. If you just need contact, if you don't need a guy to drive the ball and drive in runs or get on base to drive in runs, if you just need a guy to put the ball in play and make things happen, you have Tyler Wade off the bench. Best part about Wade is he plays every position on the diamond and especially with regards to a position like center field or a corner outfield, he can be well above average there. So he can upgrade your defense late in games. And Wade is also one of those guys who can steal home. He actually is probably better at it than Odor. Um, he's so good on the bases, actually, that you could put in Wade at first base as a pinch runner. And I could totally see him steal second and then have no chance of throwing him out and then steal third. So Wade is, is kind of that third factor off the bench 
with regards to, in addition to Higgy, Higashioka, and in addition to um, Odor. And that's how you can use them all in combination with each other to get the most out of their individual skills. Now, looking at the way that the Yankees would have to put their lineup together, I've already talked about Frazier in the leadoff spot and then going Stanton behind him, then Voigt, then going Judge in that kind of order. Um, with the bottom of the lineup, you really want to give Sanchez an opportunity to become more aggressive and you want to give Torres an opportunity to swing more for contact rather than just for power. And you want to give Andahar more of an ability to swing more for power and be more patient. So you have to figure out how you're going to balance them at the bottom of the order. In my opinion, you got to find some sort of way to put Gardner around them because Gardner is pure patience. And you got to find a way to put Urshela around them because Urshela is the right amount of aggression. And if you can structure that right back to back to back, especially knowing that you know, Gardner's a lefty and you can throw him in there and kind of mix that, that group up, you can even have, in theory, uh, you could go Gardner to LeMayhew somewhere in there and, and then go with, with guys who are a little bit more free swingers uh, or guys who you know need to be able to concentrate a little bit more in zone like Sanchez. Uh, that's where I say with the double lineup factor, because of the double lineup, what would be the double lineup? Well, Gardner would be the secondary leadoff hitter behind Judge. Then you'd go to LeMayhew. Then you'd probably go to Sanchez. Then you'd probably go to like probably Andahar or Urshela. No, no. Then you'd go to Urshela. Then you'd go to Andahar. And then I think the lineup would probably turn over. And why that? I think that'd be all nine of them off the top of my head. Um, actually, you know what? No, I, I'm missing one because, um, no, I am, I'm totally missing one. I, I've actually named 10 guys. You can't have a 10-man lineup. So, yeah, I take LeMahieu out of that, and uh, you put Andahar, I guess, as the secondary two-hitter, or Sanchez as the secondary two-hitter. You know, I think I'll go Sanchez as the secondary two-hitter because he's going to walk as well and hit for power. And then as the three-hitter, the guy who does the driving in, you can go with Urshela because Urshela is going to be – actually, no, 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 no. What am I talking about? Urshela is a perfect contact bat. So you go Gardner, Urshela, Sanchez, Andahar. Perfect. There we go. Awesome. That's how you do the lineup. So to recap, the lineup, you know, on the day, I guess, that – LeMahieu would have off, you'd start off with Frazier in the one slot because uh, you got to get him his confidence with nobody on base. Then you'd go to Judge, who that, that's his, or not Judge, sorry, uh, Stanton. You go to Stanton there because Stanton needs a pitch to hit in the first inning. Um, that's really where he starts off. I mean, that, that's the perfect spot for him. Stanton's done great in the two spot. Uh, the three spot, you go for Voight because Voight needs to be aggressive. He needs to trust his hitting ability. When, whenever Voight ends up being too patient, he gets himself out. Every single time, just needs to trust the swing and just go with that. Behind those three, because one of them is going to get on base in the first inning, you have Judge. So Judge will still come up in the first inning. And that's your top four. Those hitters are all damage doers. Like I could imagine Frazier hitting 40 homers, Stanton hitting 40 homers, Judge hitting 40 homers, uh, Voigt hitting 40 homers, all four of those guys hitting 40 home runs in a single season. 
So like you have all four of them in the first four spots in the lineup. Oh my God. Like, wow. Um, then behind them, you start with the secondary uh, lineup, the secondary lineup. You go with your leadoff hitter Gardner. You go with your two hole hitter Urshela. You go with your three hole hitter Sanchez. You go with your four hole hitter. I'm missing someone. Oh, four hole hitter. You go with Torres. Perfect. And there we go. And then Andahar ends up being your nine hole hitter. So if Torres can't drive in the runs, then then Andahar has to. But Andahar also is aggressive enough, and he runs a low enough walk rate. He's not going to get on base a ton. So there's going to be lots of times where Andahar is not on base and Frazier's get, getting to come up with no one on base. So, and not just in the first at bat of the game either. So you got to, you got to, you got to like literally light, light Frazier as if he's like a bomb or something like that by putting him in the, in the first spot. Like you really got to just, yeah, that, that's, that's the, that's the way to get him going. That's the way to get him confidence. Just take the pressure off of him. Um, and that's what I would do. That's how I would do the Yankees lineup. It's very Joe Girardi-ish because he was the guy who pioneered the double lineup. Always been a big fan of Girardi. Um, but if you do those things, mind you, all of those players are under team control. All of those players are on the roster. They don't have to trade for anyone. It's just about usage. If they can fix the usage issues, the Yankees are probably the best team in the major leagues. But if they can't, everyone is going to play down. And this kind of thing should continue longer than it needs to. That being said, at some point, they're going to hit. It's impossible for them not to. It's just, is it going to be like, are they going to get in their heads so much that it's going to keep them from hitting for a longer period of time? I guess that's kind of what I'm saying because this is not who they are. All it takes is a little bit more aggression and trusting your abilities a tiny bit more, and they take off. So that's, that's what I got today, man. Uh, I do want to uh, quickly say we got a, a show coming up in you know, the next month or so where we are going to be giving a recap of the top players list and where it ends up being mid-season. Um, I've been making some edits on that and working on that. Um, actually was able to run by like a new class of criteria, um, with regards to evaluating the players, but we can talk about that definitely on a future stream. Um, I just got to say like, you know, our percentage for or my percentage rather for before the season, it's not, it's not quite the 90% that it was when, you know, we were only like a month or so. in. I mean, of course that makes sense but I'm still blown away at the success rate of the formula in which I have figured out how to use. Um, I mean, I'm starting to even like, I trust myself now so much more with player evaluation. Now that like all of this is coming into results. Now that all of this is coming to fruition, like I've gone in the last 24 to 48 hours, I've gone through each team's uh, top prospect list again like not necessarily to brush myself up on guys, but to just be like, you know, oh, I did like that guy. I'm going to trust my, my gut here and remind myself that that was one of the guys that I really liked 
even though like I only saw him when he was like 16 years old or 18 years old. Because sometimes those guys, if they have the swing mechanics for it and they have the body type for it, like you can be like, oh, yeah, that's a future big leaguer. Like I don't like to say it because he's a cheater, but looking at Carlos Correa at age 16, you could tell. Looking at Gary Sanchez at age 16, you could tell. There's certain guys who are just built different, as they like to say. He's just built different, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and you can pick that up if you know what you're looking for. So um, we're going to definitely release that list. And honestly, I'll be real with you guys. I'm thinking about doing something special. And instead of just having a list of, you know, the best players in the game right now, like for this season and for the rest of this season, I'm thinking about turning it into like a list of like majors and minors best professional baseball players like best people who have signed with a big league team in the majors or the minors like who are the best between both as of right now and as of their current ability i think that could be really cool um especially because it would give us the opportunity to talk about guys who are injured who are going to be factors next year and guys who are in the minors who like nobody's ever heard of like Rykelvin or I think his name is Rykelin. They used to, they used to uh, on YouTube pronounce it as like Rykelvin, but it's not Rykelvin. It's, 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 I think it's Rykelin. Rykelin, I think is how you say his name. DeCastro. Um, I believe he's in the Blue Jays system or the Pirates system, one or the other. And the first time I saw him, he must have been like 15, 16 years old. It was even before he signed. He was just working out at uh, some facility in like the DR or something like that. And I was like, whoa, this guy's got big league swing mechanics. If they just give him big league, big league weight and give him, you know, enough competitive games and let him use that swing, that is a swing that is going to translate to the big leagues. And, you know, I'll tell you, barring injury with guys who have that type of swing mechanics, I've now been around a long, long enough and studied prospects long enough where, like, I remember when Ronald Acuna was 16. You know, I remember looking at his swing mechanics and being like, yep, that's a big leaguer. You know, I, I, I remember looking at Gary Sanchez when he was 16 and being like, yeah, swing mechanics, that's a big leaguer. You know, like, so I, I've done this long enough where I can start to pick up on some of these guys. But again, it's, it's the guys that are built different. It's the guys that like even professional scouts, whether you're like, you know, the worst scout in the world or whether you're brilliant, would just look at the guy and be like, yeah, of course he's a stud. You know, so if, if you know what you're looking at, you, you can pick it up with some of these younger guys. Um, but I do think that that's kind of the disconnect that there's a lot of people who are running things right now. who are doing it all of doing all of it on results and they're not doing any of it based on scouting data. And. Um, I, I just think that, that as long as that exists, there's not necessarily going to be fun baseball regularly being played because it's just going to be more walks, strikeouts, and homers. There's always going to be bad ball hitters in the league, but it's just going to be less and less and less because people are not going to trust them for everyday duty. They're not going to give them, you know, the at-bats that they need in order to grow. Not, at le- not unless they have like a really beautiful swing or any sort of tool set that complements it, AKA base running defense. But if you can't really run that well, right, and you're like an average defender because of your athletic ability, you could have the best hitting tool 
in the world and a big league team would not give you a chance. Not unless like a, you know, you went out there and were competing from a very, very young age, like Jose Altuve, for instance, Altuve does not necessarily have the greatest defense. When he was coming up from the minors, he had the greatest base running. He was very fast. Um, but yeah, you know, point is, is that there's guys out there that are just the hit tool and even them, like Altuve would have never gotten an everyday playing time if not for the Houston Astros trying to lose for like three years running and just starting whoever they could start out there. Like most people that are the Altuves of the league don't really necessarily get their opportunity to shine typically. Like right now, William, Williams Ostadio, he's now like getting like to be at his physical prime and he's bounced around to so many teams just waiting for a team that'll let him play every single day. And he's still not able to play every single day. And like you, you like the next time that there's a team that's like, uh, like competitive tanking, right? Maybe the Rockies could pick up Ostadio, but like right now teams don't value that contact bat. They don't value you unless you can hit it out of the ballpark. So no one's really trying to deal for Ostadio who wants to play him every day. It's the same thing with this guy named, I think his name's Ildemargo Vargas. He's bounced around like eight teams in the last three years, which is nuts. I think it might even be nine teams in the last three years. And he, all he does is hit for contact. All he does is do that and get on base because he doesn't strike out. And the game doesn't really value that anymore. So he hasn't really gotten an everyday playing time. This is where we're at. It is what it is. But 2021 baseball. Anyway, we will see you next time with uh, a little bit more info on, on uh, some developments. I've actually reached out uh, to a couple of other YouTubers, so we may or may not be collabing, possibly in the future. Um, so look out for that. And that's all I got to say, Chris. And I mean, that's really it, as usual. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that bell so you get notified on everything that comes out every week. Check out our past live streams. Check out our podcast. Now we got an audio cast going on the YouTube channel so you can go in between the podcast on your long journeys or when you're sitting at your desk or you're at home. You can listen to the, the podcast in audio cast format on the YouTube. Show some love. Drop it in the comments. We'll see you next time.